I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this afternoon, please, to the book of Titus. The book of Titus in the second chapter, Titus chapter 2. Well, we are continuing our study of the order of salvation and those words the Bible uses to describe our salvation. And in that connection, we are continuing our study of that Bible word, redemption, especially with reference to that salvation. We've seen that there are actually two Greek uh, word families uh, that are used uh, to speak of this, and they both really mean the same thing, a deliverance from bondage, deliverance from the power of another, and that especially by payment of a price. So it's a release that is secured by a ransom or secured by payment of a price. We've traced that out a little bit in the Old Testament in that previous hour, but certainly uh, all the more is it so with our redemption in Christ. As he himself said, he, gave, he came to give his life a ransom for many. He bought us out of bondage. And though the emphasis in Scripture when speaks of redemption is so often on the price paid, what Christ himself did indeed pay, it also says much about us and our salvation. Uh, to quote uh, that Irish pastor I referred to in the previous hour, another quote from him, Marcus Rainsford, redemption supposes the state of the persons to be redeemed to be a state of misery and captivity. So being sold into slavery and the like, well, they're in a bad way. It, it also underscores helplessness. We saw that, remember, in Psalm 49, about nobody can redeem his brother from death. And Well, the very word redemption, in a bad state, but terrible bondage, and helpless to do anything about it. Well, that's so with all people by nature, and that was so with us, dear brother, dear sister, but yet we've now been redeemed even from a multifaceted bondage. We saw this word used in Galatians 3.13, how Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That is to say, the requirement of justice that we should, uh, that our sin should be punished. Well, Christ indeed uh, uh, redeemed us. As we're told, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He redeemed us, being made a curse for us, being freely justified by his, uh, by his grace uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 3. Well, that's us. Delivered from that bondage uh, of justice and the just penalty for our sin by this price. But then we also saw it in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, how in the, just the right time Christ came, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of as sons, that is to say, to redeem us, deliver us from the bondage of that old covenant and all of its laws, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the ceremonial and so forth. That is to say, uh, of having our standing before God, our approach to God, our truth from God determined at best by that old covenant. Even though we were Gentiles, yet still, we were even worse than the Jews who were kept at approach, uh, I mean, kept with a limited approach, kept at bay. And, and, and in fact, that covenant was designed. Uh, really to show the need for something more, to show that you're in a bad way and you need the work of a great redeemer. Well, we were held in, under that, even as a school teacher teaching us our need for Christ, but now we have been redeemed, we've been delivered not only from the law, but uh, from the state, the bad state that that old covenant 
was designed to reveal. But then thirdly, we saw from 1 Peter 1, that which was our call to worship earlier, that Christ has redeemed us from our aimless conduct, our futility of life without God. That's a bondage to not know God, to be uh, living just for this world, uh, aimlessness, whether it's over wickedness or empty religion, it, it doesn't matter. It, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity, it's all worthless. But Christ brought us out of that bondage to a meaningless life, well, even at the own price of his shed blood and causing us to know God. And I pointed out that it's not only a redemption from, deliverance from, it's a redemption to, that is the great blessing and privilege. Well, there's yet another connection that we see here about this word redeem, another kind of bondage from which Christ paid the price to deliver us. And it's that which is before us here in Titus 2 and verse 14. Notice that. <clears throat> well, let me back up to verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what it means there is all kinds of people. He's just got through talking about older men, more mature women, younger women, younger men, slaves. So the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all kinds of sinners, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So this is yet another bondage from which Christ has delivered us by that great price that he paid. Now, please understand, this redemption is not talking about pardon for every lawless deed. Galatians 3.13 and Ephesians 1.7, that speaks of that, forgiveness by that redemption. That's not the point here. And when it talks about redeem and purify, it's not talking about simply purifying us from sin's guilt. In this context, the word redeem has to do with deliverance from sin in practice. To deliver us from every lawless deed. Not that which we have committed, but from the commission of every lawless deed. Literally, it is no law. It's the same word translated over in 1 John 3, 4, lawlessness. So you could translate it here. To deliver us from lawlessness to deliver us from our former disregard or even our contempt for God's law. When self-will caused rejection of God's will. He gave himself to deliver us from that. Uh, to deliver his people from all lawlessness and from sin's dominion. And the word that's used here, to deliver from, very strong word. It speaks of a real separation to deliver us away from lawlessness or every lawless deed. In other words, a real deliverance. Now, ultimately, of course, well, we'll see him, we'll be like him, we'll have new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. But this is talking about something in this world that Christ gave himself to deliver us from a bondage to lawless deeds in this world. A deliverance from sin's power over man that produces lawlessness, disregard for God's law, and the like. Now, Paul actually goes on to speak of something of man's native slavery in just a few verses later in chapter 3 and verse 3. Notice what he says there, Titus 3.3. 3. 
For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, notice language, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. It's this word serving. Four times that's translated in your Bible in bondage. Well, in fact, if you have a New American Standard translation, you'll know it says enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Well, that's so with all people by nature, and that was so with us. Even Paul includes himself. We ourselves. Paul too. Not all engaged in the same lusts, same pleasures. He says various lusts and pleasures, diverse. In other words, there are many, they're very. But the point is, this speaks of a slavery to these lusts and pleasures that are all about sin. But what Paul says of himself is true of us, dear brother, dear sister. We ourselves were enslaved. We were. We're not now. We're no longer in that bondage. He goes on to speak of the work of regeneration, the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. But look, here, we're no longer in that bondage. You can't divorce us. Why just Because Christ gave himself to redeem us from that lawlessness, that lawless deeds and the like. And it's like our Lord said in John 8. Let's come there. John chapter 8. You're familiar with the uh, words of verse 36 of that chapter about whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Well, what's, what's the connection there? The Son makes you free? You're free. Well, back up to verse 32. He's always said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But the Jews, they didn't take that well. They're here, thought about, wait a minute. We've not been in bondage to anybody. And the Lord Jesus goes on to explain, uh, verse 34, and most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And here that committing is, oh, oh, one time he fell into them. This is, no, this is their life. They were committing sin. And he says, here's why you're committing that sin. You're a slave to it. They didn't recognize it. They might be respectable. They're not all out there, you know, axe murderers or the like. But here, here they are uh, as slaves to sin. It's not unlike what Peter said in 2 Peter 2.19. When he says, by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Peter's talking about sin. He said, this is a man, he's been overcome by sin. He's held captive by it. He's driven. He's hardened by it. He's so duped by sin, he's a willing slave to it. Look at the typical worldling. How he lives. How he lives in sin for his sin. Even sins that clearly ruin homes, ruin lives, substance abuse, sexual immorality, or for that matter, what about loving the world and the things of the world? Look, these things all pass away, John says, and yet here they are, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, pride of life, uh, what they can have, what they can feel, what they can be, that's all life is all about. Things, look, where's that going to be a uh, hundred years from now? Where are you going to be a hundred years from now? No, but they're driven, they're held by it. You know, so you think of stealing, or how about the guy who's like Proverbs warns against this guy with a real hot temper, bad temper, and, and okay, he knows it's wrong, but here he is, this, he's driven, he explodes at people, and he, what's the problem, or for that matter, hatred in the heart, like here in Titus chapter 3, a hateful and hating one another, and there's that malice, and there's that, does that, is it, does that make for anybody's happiness, Right? I mean, how to win friends and influence people? Well, be hateful and hating one another. That's how. 
Right. Well, it's to the man's own hurt. Well, why do that then? We all recognize this makes no sense. It's not right. Here's why. Slaves to sin. That's why the masses live as they do. But the good news here, Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself to redeem us, to deliver us, his people, from that bondage and that ruin. Now, maybe even in saying that, you're already thinking in terms of Romans 6. That says the same thing. Please come there. Romans chapter 6. Really, from verse 12 on to the end of the chapter, this is what he's saying. We were slaves to sin, but no more. He can say in verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, well, why not? Well, notice verse 17. <clears throat> but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That's interesting wording in itself, but I leave that aside. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Sin was our master. It said jump. We could only say how high. It ruled us. But notice he's saying in the past tense, that's no longer you. God be thanked. You've been set free from that. When Christ saved you, you're not under sin's dominion. It's not your Lord, your master anymore. God be thanked. Because this is what he does when he saves a sinner through Jesus Christ. He breaks the yoke. He sets the captive free from sin. Let me ask you, do you recognize your freedom as a Christian in this regard? That you've been bought out from that bondage, sin's dominion, lawlessness? Do you so recognize that you thank God? You know, it can be a case that we're so uh, aware of our problems with remaining corruption, we forget what a different salvation has made. In fact, that's why remaining corruption grieves us, is because of that salvation. But we can only see our remaining corruption. We don't keep in mind, but wait a minute, God be thanked. I'm no longer a slave. I've been bought out. I've been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin shall not have dominion over you as Christ bought you. Brethren, it should be a cherished blessing, and I want to take it a step further. Notwithstanding our remaining corruption, we're really more free than we probably realize. Okay? Uh, not just that we're not under sin's dominion. What it means is we can say no to sin. You can say no to sin and temptation. I mean, even there in Titus 2 that we read earlier, verse 12, there that grace that saves teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Now that speaks even from the get-go, from the outset, when the Lord saves you, your initial repentance. But surely it has long-term ramifications. We can deny, we can say no uh, to ungodliness and, and to worldly lust. In fact, we've been so delivered that we're free to do the opposite. So again, Titus chapter 2, uh, denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, and living soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, while we're looking beyond this age to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The fact is, brethren, He has redeemed us. He has set us free from that which uh, was our lot. Uh, we're free to do the opposite of sin. And that's being developed even right here 
in Romans chapter 6, uh, here in verse 18. Uh, Romans 6, 18 again. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In fact, he goes on, <clears throat> verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. See what I'm saying? You've been so set free. Oh, you're freer than you realize. Free indeed by Jesus Christ. A, a glorious freedom as purchased by Christ. Well, this is what Titus 2.14 is talking about. He's redeemed you from every lawless deed. Sin no longer has dominion. You're not under that master. Oh, yeah, a happy slave to righteousness, a happy slave to God. You're not sin's slave anymore. In fact, there in Titus 2.14, Paul further drives it home by saying, He gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify uh, for himself or unto himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Same emphasis. Purifying there is not some ceremonial cleansing, nor is it simply cleansing from God. He's talking about in practice, like he goes on in Titus 3 and talk about the washing of regeneration. Or uh, Ezekiel 36 about uh, God uh, uh, doing that moral cleansing within uh, so that uh, you know, cleanse them from their filthiness and their idols, give that new heart, spirit, cause them to walk in the way. Well, th that's what he's talking about here. We've been purified. We've been really uh, equipped by Christ for that. A couple of illustrations of it. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? You've got uh, the, the ungodly, the, the uh, not inheriting the kingdom. You've got idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and drunks and revilers and extortioners. And they will not enter the kingdom. They will not inherit the kingdom. And such were some of you. Well, what happened? He immediately goes on, but you were washed. Then he goes on to say you were sanctified, you were justified. But the idea of washed there doesn't mean simply forgiven. It means there was that internal cleansing that made us really different. That's what salvation does. That's breaking the yoke. That's redeeming us from the lawless deed. Let me give you another illustration. Come to Matthew 23. This is the Lord Jesus denouncing the Pharisees. You know how they were like those who uh, would wash the outside of a cup, but inside full of all kinds of mold and nastiness and so forth. Right? Can you imagine doing that, right? Here, we've got this cup, and, and boy, that outside, you look at it, it's on the shelf, looks really good. But then you look at it closer, you think, you know what, this thing looks worse than Lee McKinnon's tea mug on the inside. You know, it, it ain't been washed for a long time here. And, and it's got all kinds of nastiness growing on the inside of it, and what have you. Well, notice what we have here. The words of our Lord, verse 26. <laughs> Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. What's he saying? When there's that internal work by God's grace inside, it will clean the outside also. Such were some of you, but you've been washed. He did that great work in you, that moral cleansing as it were. Well, that's what's included there in those words, Titus 2.14, that Christ gave himself to redeem us from our lawless lead and to purify unto himself. That internal cleansing 
and such it is that, again, we can say no to sin. More than that, we can do right. More than that, that we should be zealous, he says, for good works. You've been set free from sin's bondage to the point that you can be zealous for good. Now, what do we mean by good works? Well, we're not just talking about, you know, he did some nice deeds for his neighbor. You know, he got out and mowed the guy's lawn when his foot was hurt and he couldn't do it himself. But, well, okay, that might be under that broader heading. But really, when Scripture speaks of good works, like you were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand, that's talking about all of obedience. Uh, here in Titus chapter 2, it's in contrast to every lawless deed. No longer living for lawless deeds, but now zealous for that which is right and proper before God. Letting your lights so shine before men, they see your good works. Glorify your Father in heaven. Well, it's the outworking of His grace in us. But it's not just something outward, it's from the heart. When He says, zealous, you've been redeemed so that you should be zealous for good works. The idea of boiling or fervent for good works. Actually, literally, it would be zealots. For good work. Here are people that are enthusiastic devotees to obeying God in all of life. Even running, to use language of scripture, the way of God's commandments. Or I made reference to in the previous hours, a, a light to tease. You know what a light to tease is, right? Kids, you know what a light to tease is? Everybody knows what a light to tease is, right? It's the idea of a, of a negative statement to make a powerful positive point. Uh, like when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's a light to teach. What he's saying is, I glory in the gospel. It's about God. Okay, the same thing. When 1 John 5 3, it's something of a light to teach when he uh, says, that Here's the love of God that we keep his commandments and they're no burden to us. Well, what he's saying is, not only is it not a burden, we glory, we delight in the law of God after the inner man. We're zealous for good works. We want to obey. We love him and show our love in this way. So that's the idea here. You're no longer slaves of sin. Therefore, present your very bodies, your very members of your body as, as uh, 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 slaves of righteousness and happy slaves of God. We're able because of this redemption. That's what I'm saying. We're more free than we actually realize. We're that delivered from bondage. Well, do you Regard this as true freedom, to be able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. Do you regard that as true freedom? You know, that's a difference between us and the unsaved. They don't. Like it says in Proverbs, they regard sin, iniquity, as sport. Here's something to engage in. And back to them, serving God. Oh, that's a burden. That's a bondage. For them, freedom means freedom to sin without consequences. That's what they think about. Well, what about you? Is that you? Is that freedom in your thinking, to be able to sin and get away with it? No big deal, not accountable. If that's true, see that you've been duped, you've been blinded, you're enslaved. So much so you can't think right. It only shows the extent of your slavery to sin, that you're choosing sin, that you're choosing hell over choosing God and life and eternal life in Him. That's not freedom. Let's say we got this wee little fish, right? Little fish there, he's uh, pond beside the trees. And he sees these birds and they're coming and going. And he's thinking, you know, if I could just be put up on that limb up there, I'd be free then. Would he be free? 
He wouldn't live very long. Why? Because that fish was not made to be on a tree limb. And so too, man was not made to live for sin, to be a slave to sin. It's his choice, but it's his fallen state. And therefore, that's not freedom. Bless God. The gospel, as I said before, that's good news. Here's the remedy. Christ redeems. He sets sinners free from slavery to sin. And the Son is set free. Free indeed. If you would have freedom, my friend, go to Christ. He saves sinners. Believe on the Lord Jesus, the one who died to save sinners, who lives to save sinners, and is rich to all who call upon him. But now, for you, dear brother, dear sister, again, do you recognize something of your freedom? Do you cherish it? That we are that free, being redeemed by Christ from every lawless deed? Yes, okay, I know, we've got uh, remaining corruption. It's not automatic, we're not robots and the like. We have to be told to present our members as uh, slaves to righteousness and to God. It's true, we do the things that we hate. And the things that we would not, that we would do, well, we fail to do. But that which Paul wrote in Romans 7 doesn't contradict what Paul just wrote in Romans 6. But thank God be thanked, you were slaves, no more. You've been set free in and by Jesus Christ. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You can say no. And therefore, brethren, do we recognize the freedom that is ours in Christ? You've been redeemed from the lawlessness, from preferring your will to God's will, rejecting God's will. We'll see your great salvation. And think of all the advantages that are ours in Christ, redeemed, given the Holy Spirit, uh, that work of regeneration, and Christ's grace is sufficient of his fullness. We've all received grace for grace. And therefore, let me encourage you, in the face of temptation, you know what it is. Temptation comes. Maybe it's to blow your top. Uh, maybe it's to entertain some lust. Maybe it's just to, to neglect some duty. But whatever it is, temptation comes. What do you do? Do you stop and think, I don't have to do that? Maybe you've already fallen into sin. And now you're not ready to repent of it. You got so angry or whatever. Wait a minute. Do you stop and think, wait, I've been redeemed from that. That's not my master. I don't have to do that. In fact, I ought not do that, but I don't have to do that. Stop and think, my friend. We can say no to ungodliness, worldly lust. We can, by God's grace, live soberly and righteously and godly. So here's your tongue. Here's your temper. It's getting the best of you. Or some lust that just it seems to be so, uh, oh, sin shall not have dominion over you. Maybe it's problems in your parenting, problems in your marriage. Maybe it's just your disposition towards other people generally. We're just sour. Stop it. That's not us. We're not slaves. Christ gave himself to redeem us from that lawlessness. Stop and see it in light of what Christ has done. He gave himself. Think of the price paid. You know what that means. He gave himself. Not simply he gave his time. It took a little inconvenience. No, he gave himself entirely. His whole humanity. Given over 
to experiencing the wrath of God in our stead to deliver us from that lawlessness, that slavery that was ours. And why did he do that? Well, we could answer that in many ways, but as we told, we're told here in Titus 2, that we should be his own special people. Not simply we should be zealous for good works, that's true, that's true. But we should be a special people. That probably is an allusion to what we have in Exodus chapter 19, where it talks about uh, God's people being his special treasure, a kingdom of, of, uh, of, of priests. That's us. The Lord Jesus wanted you, dear brother, dear sister, as his own special treasure. Therefore, he gave himself to redeem you from all that multifaceted bondage, including this one, lawlessness, following your own will, rejecting God's will, that we should be his own special people and therefore marked by zealous for good works. That's your salvation. That's your redemption. In the face of temptation, in the face of sin, what are you going to do? How are you going to think? Right? When Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, well, this is it. Recognizing, God be thanked, I'm not a slave anymore. Not to sin, but a happy slave to God and to righteousness. I give these members to him. I've been redeemed because Christ wanted me as his own. And therefore, he's given me this great salvation, this great redemption. I don't have to have that disposition towards others. I don't have to respond with a sinful word. I don't have to have uh, uh, failures in my marriage and in my home and in my workplace. And in... We've been redeemed and fully equipped. Well, my God grant them. As those redeemed, what Paul said of that other kind of bondage there in Galatians 5, we'll take it to heart in this case. Therefore, stand fast in the liberty in which Christ has made us free. Let God help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for so great salvation. We ask that you'd help us to think this way, to recognize what is true, to believe what is true, and then to think and live consistently with it. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you would give yourself for us, that you would want us as your own special treasure. Lord, that you've given us such a salvation that is effective to that end. Well, then again, we ask that you would help us to live as a people zealous for good works out of great love, greater love for our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.